Welcome back to Sanity. I'm Shane Gordon. Monday, we started a conversation about how selfish people shouldn't expect to have meaningful and fulfilling relationships. Relationships, specifically marriages and families, demand selflessness. I suggest you check out Monday's episode to get a complete picture of what we're discussing today, which is how living a selfless life centered around family and community is better, not just for you, but for everyone around you. It's possible to argue that government-funded social welfare got started and started going wrong when FDR signed the Social Security Act into law in 1935. Before this, social welfare was largely left up to individual communities. Unwritten contracts existed between the members of each neighborhood or community and the community as a whole. The basic contract was if you provide for the community, the community will provide for you. Often this would mean uh, the man of the house provided skills or muscle to his neighbors. He may help build a shed, repair a roof, we rewire a light fixture, and so on. The lady of the house would often cook meals when a neighbor was sick, watch children, mend clothes, and much more. If you wanted goodwill in your future, you needed to provide goodwill in the present. And this system worked well. People were engaged with one another. They knew when others were hurting and needed support and overall looked out for each other. The largest problem with this type of social welfare is that not everyone was involved. If Bob decided he didn't have time or didn't need to help others, he wouldn't receive help when he needed it. This inevitably left people poor, hungry, and in great need. And this is when government decided to step in. Let's be clear. A civilized society or the government of a civilized society has a responsibility to its citizens. No citizen of the U.S. should be hungry or homeless. No citizen of the U.S. should lack security. The biggest problem with how we've approached welfare is not that it exists, though, but that it promotes individualism. Beginning with Social Security, nearly every welfare program that has come into existence is aimed at helping an individual without that individual having to provide anything in return. Yes, certain programs require a person to work and many provide additional funds or services for children. However, all programs fall well short of promoting community involvement and family. Many programs actually actively punish people for being married. Early on, many poor families, with a disproportionate number being black families, chose to split up their families to receive more government welfare. Men thought they were doing the right thing by leaving their wives and children to secure a larger amount of government aid. This has had a lasting and damaging impact on our society. The number of women without husbands and children without dads is astonishingly sad. The government decided that providing for the community was not a requirement for receiving aid. They decided to focus on the individual need rather than the contribution. 
Over nearly 100 years, government-funded social welfare has systematically encouraged individuals to willfully abandon the systems that provided the most help. Those systems were self-sacrifice, family, and community involvement. And with each generation, the knowledge of community support has faded. Today, all our youth knows is how to care for themselves. And that's not their fault. That's how they've been raised. Very few people are raised in communities that are involved with one another. Only really rural America maybe demonstrates this old way of life. And even there, it's dying off. Now, I'm talking as if our society is worse off because of the government's involvement in welfare. The general idea was to tax everyone and and redistribute wealth to those in need. The hope is to get get people off welfare and to be able to survive on their own. But the system doesn't do that. The availability of welfare hasn't appreciably affected the number of people who need welfare. In other words... Welfare hasn't ended poverty. Welfare hasn't helped strengthen families. As I mentioned early, earlier, welfare almost always provide, provides more support to single-parent households. Welfare is less effective at redistributing wealth in communities that are engaged in taking care of each other. Welfare does not promote healthy money habits. And the list goes on. Welfare clearly as it is today, is not the solution. The idea that individual needs should be met regardless of individual sacrifice is noble on the surface. People do deserve a basic standard of life. The part our government ignores, however, is that giving back to others is part of a basic standard of life and has been since the beginning of time. Those who do not provide for others will not have a fulfilling life. And we see that now with welfare. I want to be clear that I'm not talking about individuals here. There are plenty of people on welfare who give back to others, but they are the exception, not the rule. Most people who get something for nothing will be more than happy to keep receiving without giving. Let's look at this, though, from the opposite end of the spectrum. Government-funded welfare also discourages those with wealth from giving back to their community. The system as a whole promotes individualism and selfishness from both ends of the spectrum. Now, you might argue, and sorry if you hear a beeping outside, they're doing construction, but you might argue that a rich person doesn't need handouts from the community, but I would say you're wrong. Community involvement only works when everyone gives and receives based on their means and ability. The rich family in the neighborhood may not have the skills for plumbing repairs, for instance, but their neighbor down the street might. So the neighbor gives up his time to fix their plumbing issue. Then let's say the neighborhood decides they want to have a block party. The wealthy family may provide most of the food. What happens if that wealthy family doesn't give more? Well, their neighbors are likely going to view them poorly. They may feel they aren't being generous enough, and they may consciously or unconsciously push that wealthy family out of the community. What then happens the next time the wealthy family is in need? 
Now they have to hire someone instead of receiving the goodwill of a neighbor. Communities that look out for each other also realize that not everyone can give the same. The key to being in the good graces of the community is to give selflessly. If everyone gives what they can, everyone else sees that, appreciates it, and is willing to give back. Does government welfare encourage the same? Well, right now, every major city struggles with extreme poverty, homelessness, and drug use, while also being home to some of the richest businesses and individuals in the country. Let's look at San Francisco, for example. California Governor Newsom just sent CHP and California Guard personnel to San Francisco to help fight the city's rampant and growing drug crisis. Major retail and food chains are leaving the city due to theft, violence, and vandalism. The city is in a downward spiral. But right now, the Golden State Warriors are in the NBA playoffs against the Los Angeles Lakers. The absolute cheapest tickets I could find for the last game at Golden State were $300 a ticket. That is $19 more than what an individual on food stamps would get each month in San Francisco. One ticket costs the same as a month's worth of food for the poorest individuals in the city. By the way, the most expensive tickets can cost more than $40,000 per seat. So is government welfare properly distributing the money to those in need? Well, clearly not. The wealth gap in the U.S. is worse than it has ever been. So why aren't those who can afford a $40,000 ticket helping those who would have to give up a month of food to sit at the very top of the arena? Quite simply, because they're selfish. There is no incentive for them to give. They get nothing from the poor and feel no obligation to give back to the poor. Many see giving as an offense because the government already taxes them to supposedly help the poor and it's not working. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The poor don't want to do anything to earn their handouts and the rich don't want to give anything away for nothing in return. Want another interesting fact? Homeless people in San Francisco can get up to $687 per month for absolutely nothing. You can find videos all over TikTok and YouTube of homeless people with iPhones saying they have no incentive to do anything else because the government just gives them money and food. Now, obviously the system is broken. It's set out to help everyone regardless of their contribution to society. The system encourages selfishness and individualism. It actively punishes anyone working to get out of poverty by being all or nothing support. And it disincentivizes family and community involvement. On Monday, we discussed how being in a covenant marriage without the availability of no-fault divorce, forced men and women to learn how to get along. To be happy and fulfilled as an individual, one would have to focus on their partner and their partner's well-being. It may seem counterintuitive, but to find a better life, you have to think more about the other people around you than you think about yourself. 
The same is true for communities as a whole. I don't believe government welfare should go away. As I said earlier, I think one of the requirements of a civilized society is taking care of every citizen. However, that welfare should come with strings attached. Personal fulfillment and community growth come when people are involved with each other's lives, from the poor to the rich. Unfortunately, the most wealthy in the most the most wealthy live in a world all to themselves. They're so detached from the rest of us that they won't be incentivized by someone doing their plumbing. They can simply hire someone to do that. However, even at that level, a community still exists. There is still the feeling of helping one another and supporting one another. It may look a bit different, but it is there. And due to past terrible decisions by our government, the poorest of us do not have enough wealth around to always take care of the needs that everyone has. That being said, a little from a lot of people can go a long way. And at the poorest level, sometimes sacrifices of time mean more than some amount of money. There is no doubt that we do need programs that tax those with a lot and give it to those with very little. The details of those programs are discussion for another day, however. Most of us, though, live in communities that are very capable of taking care of each other. Our current household income is actually $6,000 below the federal poverty level. Yet we are still part of a community with a wide range of wealth and skills. Sometimes it just takes going outside your immediate neighborhood to find that community. Maybe your neighbor is a single mother who relies on food stamps because she can't work enough hours to get a decent income. Could you, I don't know, watch her kids after school so she could work full time? Maybe your neighbor's lawnmower is broken or aging and it takes him way too long to mow each week, which limits the time he can spend with his family or limits the number of clients he can uh, serve in whatever business he does. Could you, could he borrow your mower or could you and a couple uh, of others pitch in to buy him a new one? What about the couple with a sick daughter? Could you make them some pre-made meals? Could you and your neighbor, your next door neighbor, combine backyards and start an urban garden or suburban garden for both families to enjoy and save money on food? Maybe you can repair someone's deck and in return, they fix your car or pay to get it fixed. There are a lot of ways that we can work together as a community to make everyone's lives better. We can be much more impactful with how we support each other than government welfare could ever be. But all of those things will require us to be less selfish and more aware of what's happening around us. Adhering to what worked in the past is the only way to improve our future. Going back to what I said Monday, there's a reason every successful civilization prioritized monogamous, faithful, lifelong partnerships between men and women. There's a reason every successful civilization centered around communities that helped one another and demanded everyone participate or get left out. 
And those reasons aren't bigotry and hatred. The old system worked. The old system may not have created equity, but guess what? Our current system is doing an even worse job of achieving equity. I've said it already, but it's worth saying again. One of the biggest ironies of life is that to improve your own life, you must put the needs of others before your own needs. If we listen to progressive influencers, we should only care about ourselves and our uniquenesses. We should expect everyone else to affirm our way of life and we should make no compromises for others. If we look at the people who live this lifestyle, they aren't happy or fulfilled in the long run. They often end up lonely and isolated because earlier in life, they pushed everyone else away. Don't live that way. Be selfless in your relationships. Give of yourself for the benefit of your spouse and kids. Pay attention to your neighbors and your community and help each other when able you will be much happier doing so. Okay, that's all I want to say about that for today. If you're watching the YouTube video, I am really sweaty. It is hot in this shed that I'm in. We are not going to be doing an Am I the A-Hole segment today, but don't worry, we will have more on Monday. Thank you for hanging out with me today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow, rate, and review. Hit that like button, and even better, subscribe if you're on YouTube. And we'll see you next time on Sanity.